Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Scott Sutton to the show. Welcome, Scott. Thanks. Scott is the Vice President of Revenue Operations at ZoomInfo. ZoomInfo helps sales and marketing professionals to identify, connect, and engage with qualified prospects. Since we're both deeply involved in revenue operations, we're going to talk about how revenue operations needs to evolve in the era of COVID and the coronavirus. Before we get to that topic, I want to get to know Scott a little bit better. And Scott, I'm going to ask you a question I love to ask because I'm always after new reading material. Love to hear one of your favorite sales books of all time and perhaps something that you got out of it. I'll actually give you two. One is from the more technical side of my job. Uh, The Phoenix Project is a book about actually IT DevOps, but I think there's, there's a lot of application to what we do in deploying projects in Salesforce and in the RevOps world and and speaks to having a more structured approach. The other one is a good standard in cracking the sales management code. I really like the way that they approach how to report out on business and drive the right activities and behavior with sales reps. Getting on to our main topic around the, the evolution of RevOps, as you and your team have moved from being in the office and and feeling the pulse of the floor to being presumably at home, sheltering in place. What changes have you noticed? You know, the process of, of how this has played out uh, has really challenged us and stretched us in new ways. And I imagine it's, it's changed for you guys as well. I think when you're in the office, everyone has this idea that they're really their ops are tight, their reporting is is clean, and it's ready to go, giving an accurate picture of the business at all times. And I think as the reality of work from home, of the, the situation got more and more real, and we got closer to the actual uh, exiting of the whole office by the staff and full work from home, we looked at every all of our reporting, we looked at the analytics, um, what the frontline managers are using to drive the business, and we said, you know, there's still some gaps, things that we need to tighten up to be able to make sure we can really manage this without that feel of the floor, without walking around the office and, and checking in with reps. So I think from my standpoint, we've we've just had to tighten things up and find new ways, as I imagine you guys have. Yeah, I think it's definitely true. I mean, managers, as you said, would walk the floor and people get energy infectiously. If other people are on the phone and you're not on the phone, you probably get self-conscious, right? Or uh, so you don't even really have to necessarily directly monitor activity levels. Do you feel that managers then have a greater obligation to directly monitor activity levels versus you know when people were actually in the office? I think you do. And so a lot of the early focus in, in the first few days for me was making sure activity reporting was spot on and not just on the core, you know, emails, dials. We went deeper into tracking down gong meetings, looking at other activities. So in the spirit of cracking the sales management code, we have dashes instrumented out where I can see all types of different uh, stages of the funnel. I can see trials, leads, uh, demos, demos completed, ops. I can see quotes out the door. I can see mentions of certain products in gong calls. We were actually monitoring all of the words associated with coronavirus in Gong and giving daily reporting back to see how pervasive it was and if it, if that was then impacting our win rates. We broadened the scope of what we measured and 
and gave that to the managers. And I think it gave us a greater level of confidence that things were still progressing. We didn't see the numbers fall off a cliff. We, we actually saw more uh, activity. And that was one of the most surprising things is this focus on activity and also a lot of the removal of distractions in the office environment led us to see a pretty big spike in our activity. On the receiving end, the volume of people trying to prospect me has increased pretty dramatically. So I, I presume that this increase in activity is maybe both a reaction to you know, fear of challenging economic times ahead, as well as having more time in the day. You know, I like to throw out sort of data and statistics a lot with respect to the challenging times ahead. The folks over at Challenger, I was talking to their head of analytics just this morning. His name is uh, Timur. And he was mentioning that they just did a pulse survey and people who responded to that survey, I think they had something like 100 or 150 responses in this last pulse, said that business was forecast to be down 47% in Q2, uh, which is pretty shocking. So like, I guess, again, getting back to that activity, it's like if people are expecting this big crater to happen, they're prospecting in order to prevent that 47% decline. I think one thing that's readily apparent is everyone is focused. And because of the current situation, you can't sit by and coast. You can't let the world happen to you. Regardless of who you are and what where your head's at, you have to be thinking because you've now changed your whole office environment. You're more aware of what's around you. You've, you've had to shift up uh, your schedule potentially. You have kids at home. So I just think everything's more top of mind. And there are good things and bad, but no one's not paying attention. And I, I think that's what I saw. I, I see the same thing. I, I got probably three times the email around prospecting efforts and, and people reaching out to me. And I do think people are trying to throw a lot out there and see what sticks. And, and definitely, we we amped up our activity level, constantly digging through data, trying to figure out what's working, what's not, and, and be the first one to find some insights. But for sure, the activities up, the thought process, the thoughtfulness is is there. You know, activities ultimately result in opportunities and opportunities for people in sales operations and sales leadership. We want to understand the forecast. We've been doing a ton of updates to our forecast models, right? Because just historical patterns are not applying right now. I'm curious what sorts of things you guys are doing in order to like ensure your ops are clean and up to date and you know improving your forecasting engine. I agree with you. Uh, you know, looking at really tight historical models that predict X percent win rate on this cohort, a lot of those don't have a lot of basis in, in the current reality. What we've tried to do is is leverage the best data we have of what's happening right now, whether it's opportunity data, the funnel stats, and then also layer in a level of analysis from external sources. So I'm a member of you know Revenue Collective, active on MSP, and you know, I've reached out to other peers in the industry and just trying to see how people are are thinking about this. And Revenue Collective actually did a really excellent survey, you know, week over week of how budgets are developing, uh, job cuts, uh, how people are reacting. And it's really good to see a pool of, of executives in a space uh, similar to yours in the tech SaaS world and how, how they're being effective and how they're thinking. And, and that helped to give us an assurance that the things we're seeing are confirmed by multiple other sources. And so I guess that hopefully that answers the question. 
Yeah. Have you changed your any of your forecasting methodologies? Maybe you could just run through at a high level, like how you guys forecast and then maybe address any changes that you guys have made. We're looking at our opportunity creation pace. We're looking at um, how old the opportunities are. And we have a pretty good feel on the win rates across different months and whether quarter end or or kind of a non-quarter end month, we have a pretty good feel for what we're going to win of pipe created in month, minus one month, minus two months. We've looked at the current pipe and the creation pace and, and tried to forecast forward. And I think what we're trying to now understand is do those do those rates hold up? Are we able to hold our, our ASP through the current situation and maneuver and adjust. So I, I think it's tuning percentages and, and tuning uh, what we think is a realistic expectation. We sit uh, weekly and, and roll up and talk through. And I think one thing that we do also is we scenario plan for best case, worst case. And that helps drive an understanding for the executives of like how big is the range of expected outcomes and gives guidance on where, you know, where we really think we're going to land to help them forecast and, and plan accordingly. We talked a bit about activity. We talked about forecasting. What else for you have you noticed has been a pre-COVID, post-COVID change within your organization? We're a pretty ops-driven org, and we view our our CRM as a complete asset, and our sales process is one of our key differentiators, just like any other of our product features. Our go-to-market engine is something that we... Um, are very proud of. And, and I think now even more, the burden on our ops team to come up with novel solutions to really driving an efficient sales process is, is even more important. I think a lot of companies, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it holds for you, but we've actually seen more in the top end of the funnel. And so I think it then becomes incumbent upon us in, in ops to help filter and distill that into who's just out there doing searches who's looking for Zoom video and finding Zoom info. That's a real thing. We actually get hundreds of those. And so it challenged us and pushed us in new directions to to filter, to still, to provide the salespeople the most efficient sales process given this different context. And so we've had a lot of projects that have spun up around that about um, filtering and giving more clarity on what, what we should work, what we shouldn't work. And like you said, cleaning up our opportunities to make room. Also, with the current environment, a lot of sales cycles will extend because people are in a holding pattern. And a lot of the, the auto- automation we had around aging ops might have to be tweaked and tuned to adapt to that changing sales cycle length. Assuming that sales cycles are extended, what, what adjustments are you thinking about making to the way you manage those aging ops? So we have playbooks that we use that are analyzing ops for a set of conditions and then taking certain activities. So we have limits on how many ops you can hold. So we're not flag planting in, in a large amount of ops. And then others we have is, you know, if you've had an op for X days with X activity threshold or X amount of traction, we'll ask that that gets closed out and moved on. So I think a, a couple of things that we'll do to move the needle there is to loosen some of the time dimensions on the activity requirements. You know, if they say, hey, give me two months, I just want to see if this passes, rather than beat them up on a 14-day activity cycle, I might extend that out. And then just in the the amount of ops in general, if things are in, in a hold, I don't want to close out good pipeline because the market is is in this tough spot where people aren't wanting to make decisions. 
So I think giving the reps a, a little bit bigger op book to carry, knowing that that'll come home, it'll just take longer. Those are two adjustments that I think are, are the biggest ones for us. In your models, do you actually adjust the probability based on age or age and stage? We do. And um, we have some really good deep analysis on op age and the win rate. And I think like most folks, the longer you get, there's a clear deterioration in win rate over time. I guess the big exception of that would be the, the bigger enterprise client side where you have really complex deal cycles with multiple stakeholders. You have legal procurement bars, information security requirements that will drag a sales cycle out. Um, but we do layer that in. So if you have, if you think about industry um, being a good fit, size of business, and then kind of age, you can start to paint a picture of of overall fit and then an adjusted win rate based on a variety of factors, whether it's age, um, the level of engagement, how many how many folks are on the other side of the sales cycle. So we call it multi-threadedness. All of these are on our standard dashboard frontline managers. So they can see their aging ops. They can see good fit, bad fit. They can see whether they're single threaded or not. And then invoke campaigns to help drive more engagement, to help speed up those. If you're deep, you might make an offer to see if if it takes or it actually closes the op out because nothing's going to close the deal. Or we can get more folks engaged at, at the target prospect account. So th- there's a lot of different things we can do with that. And I really like this idea of marrying up What's happening with the op probability with a campaign to, to go back in and, and move the needle? And so that's one thing we've tried to do is, is analyze what's degrading and then go and materially move those factors to get it back on track. Or if, if it's going to get closed out, then it'll force the issue and it'll get close. Yeah, you're in this uh, unique intersection position where head of RevOps at different companies can mean very, very different things. As I understand it, you not only have a bunch of the traditional kind of ops pieces rolling up to you, you've also got a demand generation engine that uh, rolls up into you. I'm, I'm sure your marketing team has one as well. What separates the sort of demand generation engine that your marketing team is responsible for versus the demand generation side that you and your team are responsible for? Where do you draw that line? That's the golden question with this team. We recoined the team to be called uh, revenue generation because they sit under the sales side. Um, we talk about it in terms of one-to-many or one-to-one. And the traditional marketers, our customer marketing team, demand gen, they're looking at broad messaging from one to a whole account, awareness of a new product offering, general awareness about new features, an offer we have in the market, migrating to a new platform. And what the RevGen team is all about is how do we accelerate and move the needle on our pipeline? And they're doing really sophisticated, targeted campaigns with very tailored personalization to the prospects. They're doing high-frequency touches. They're even into the the DocuSign side. So they're trying to very explicitly analyze each deal and cohorts of prospects and drive those forward. And it's been a huge lift for us. I think this team, um, they fill a void on the sales side where one rep attacking 100 ops, while they can have a high activity level, they can be dialing a lot and emailing, they won't serve all of it to its fullest potential. And so that's where we come in and we try to supplement to help help keep all of that moving. And then we tee up things for them. So we're constantly teeing up the next thing. And we like to say, we tee it up, you call it and close it. It just really helps them to maximize their time. 
does your team then actually make calls and send emails and do that sort of thing? Or do you tee up those activities as suggestions for the AEs who own the ops? We actually do it all on their behalf um, from the emailing side. And then we, we provide them with the call down tasks. And we have a, a pretty large SDR team now. We actually run our, our RevGen team a lot like you would almost like a supply chain where we have visual management inside of Asana. And for instance, in one month, we ran 93 plays. And I've got everything from list pull, list scrub, copy written, loaded up in SFDC and sequenced out. I can actually see all the red lights turn green. I can see everything that's queued up. And they're really, really good at going through. And, and we've made it this programmatic process where we can just in a day, spin up an entire new campaign, pull the list, scrub it, get copy written and get it out the door. And it allows us to be really dynamic and flexible while doing a huge volume of campaigns that aren't just broad blast to the universe. It's really tailored to that specific buyer for that specific sale. And I guess you built trust with the AEs over time that if you're sending on behalf of them, you're sort of sending the right thing at the right time and, and they don't need to control that send. Yeah, and I, I think we do allow folks to opt in and out. And there's, you know, we have scrubs uh, of lists to, to pull people out. There are some where it's, they're just programmatic plays that, you know, they do more good than harm most all the time. And so we just let them run. And I think we do a pretty good job of not stepping on our own toes. It is a fine line. And our top sales reps, they have a really, really good handle on their pipe. And they do a really good job of, of progressing it forward, of, of emailing out and staying engaged and knowing exactly when that next touch should occur. But that takes time and it takes time to develop. So my goal is to provide this nice soft landing for a new AE to come in and, and we'll provide them the activity safety net and we'll, we'll keep things progressing. And as they mature, as they develop, they can opt more out and then they can have a more tailored, refined approach. But at any given time, we're still going to catch things, keep them progressing forward, keeping the deals moving. So that's really our goal is to be a buffer, to be a safety net and to help guys out with the ones that everyone should just be sending all the time. You mentioned 93 plays that you ran in the course of even just one month. I guess looking back at some of the plays that the revenue generation team has run in the past, what are maybe two or three of the plays that you're you're most proud of that, that maybe folks could run on their own to help their own opportunities progress faster? I think there's a couple uh, specifically. One thing we really like to do is get our executive team involved in deals um, for a variety of reasons. I think they can come in and they can help move a deal forward. And and often we find that we get to the, the key sticking point on a deal faster when, when they're involved. I think another thing is we just like to show support for the clients and, and genuinely offer um, support. So we do a lot where we do sends on behalf of our executive team when ops are getting into the final stages, you know, saying we're an executive team, we're here for you anytime you need a call to discuss, you know, how we further this partnership, how we continue. That's something, and, and it's genuine. It's not, it's not forced. And then our exec team comes back through and, and follows up on those. I love reading through the responses because people are often really surprised to get a touch from our CRO, even on a mid-sized deal. But I, I do think, you know, as a buyer, I've been on the other side of that. And, and when you get that attention, when you get that touch, you definitely come with the real objections things shake loose. 
And it also sets the relationship on the right tone. I love the executive connection play. What's another play that's been super effective for you? As we hit quarter ends, that's when we start to spin up different promos and different offers. In about October, November, it was probably October last year, maybe even earlier, we looked at what we had in December ahead of us, the amount of renewals, the amount of new business that we were slated to close. It was a holy crap moment of the sheer volume. And we looked at our resources and we kind of stared around the room and said, there's no way we can manage. I remember thinking about that. And we then wrote custom applications in Apex and in Salesforce to process our, our quote approvals to get things out the door faster. We, we built out this RevGen team larger and we made it and, and we delivered faster time to approve quotes and process deals than we had ever had. And coming out of that, we now come into the end of the month knowing we can move the needle. And so I guess that's where my next favorite play is just the promos, the really quick, you know, how do we help the AEs accelerate that last week of business? So we'll offer them, you know, three or four different plays. We'll do analysis on what the best fit play is and offer that up and then they'll pick and we'll come in and watching our play go out and the responses come back and all of the ops shake loose. It's just such a gratifying feeling. And we know that we touch nearly all the revenue with these plays. And I guess that's the, it gets ops more involved in the exciting side of that business versus the just closing out a million contracts, cleaning up, and then re-racking forecasts. Like it really gives us more of the feeling of being in the throes of, of the selling motion for quarter end. I feel like a kid in the candy land because you got so many of these plays. So I'm going to push you for one more because I'm, I'm getting huge value. Uh, so again, just to recap, one is that kind of executive team involvement. Two is end of quarter, end of period promos to get stuff unstuck. Uh, you got a third one for us. and uh, I promise no more than three. <laughs> one thing that, that we really like to do is offer up some real value. And, and I think that's one thing that differentiates good email from just email, adding value for the client, whether they're a customer or a prospect. So we did a play in March. We gathered all of the different trials we had out, as well as all of the renewing clients. And we, we programmatically were able to pull usage reports in, in an image file for all of those clients. And we were able to drop them in custom email sequences, talking to them about their usage levels. And each one, we went in and did a little customization around the context of their usage and how we could help accelerate their business in the next year. And that to me is really value add. I think for a lot of leaders, for someone like you or I, we might not be in the thick of the usage on the day-to-day. -day. And as we come up to renewal, having a, a vendor partner talking about not just here's usage hanging over your head, please renew, but hey, this is an insight. You have a lot of usage or you don't. Here are four things that we think we can do to move the needle. So that one's more, it's less programmatic and it's more custom, but it's it's really high value add. And we saw really great responses. It drives a, a really good conversation about what's really happening for a prospect. And that to me is invaluable. Like customer feedback, feedback on trials for new business is something that we relish and we want to hear about. Yeah, I, I love that as a customer, as a buyer, when vendors, whether it's at the you know nearing renewal or really any time, can come in with some sort of value add that's that's super tailored and personalized. Well, if people want to learn more uh, about Zoom Info, 
or get to ask you a few more questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Go to zoominfo.com. There's a lot of resources there. For me, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, get connected, or Twitter, any of the social media channels I'm out there. But uh, love to hear from you. If you're on MSP or Revenue Collective, uh, hit me up in one of those channels as well. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. Peter Lepinto is our editor. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.